This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where state lawmakers are talking about the death penalty, but they actually don't plan to do anything just yet. Some bad news for the smallest of the state universities. Florida Polytech and New College of Florida would be taken over by UF and FSU if one state lawmaker gets his way. A group called the Fines and Fees Justice Center is asking lawmakers to come up with some way for the clerk's office to collect fines and fees from people without suspending their driver's licenses. A bill preempting local regulations over short-term vacation rentals like Airbnb clears a Senate committee at the last minute. Disabled Floridians rally in the Capitol Courtyard as lawmakers try to deal with the waiting list for persons with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Legally, they are entitled to services, but the legislature has ways of getting around that. In the Sunrise interview, we'll talk with Valerie Breen, who runs the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest from Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, February 12th. I can't even begin to count the number of news conferences I've covered during 42 years of reporting from the state capitol, and here's something that almost never, ever happens. State Representative Joe Geller began his press conference on abolishing the death penalty by admitting there is no way his bill is going to be heard this year. Well, we'd like to thank everyone for coming today. We appreciate your being here. Uh, Especially gratifying to see so much coverage for a bill that we know is not going to get a hearing this year. That said, uh, we're going to keep trying. And we will get a hearing. I hope it's while I'm still here. But one way or another, this is an idea whose time has come and passed. And it will end up passing the Florida legislature because this is a civilized state and a civilized country. And sooner or later, we'll get civilized on this issue. Florida is one of 30 states that still use the death penalty. There have been 99 executions here since capital punishment was reinstated in 1976, and there are 340 inmates awaiting their fate on death row. Mark Elliott, with Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty, says we also have the dubious distinction of leading the nation in the number of inmates sentenced to die before they were eventually exonerated. Florida led the nation last year in the number of new sentences of death and that's with the new higher standard unanimous jury sentencing statute in place. We've had 29 innocent people exonerated and released from death row in Florida. At the same time we've executed 99 people which is fourth in the nation but the 29, the 29 exonerated death row survivors leads the nation by far. So for every three Florida executions One person on death row has been exonerated and released. That's a horrific record for anywhere. Supporters of the death penalty say it deters killers and lowers the crime rate, that it's cheaper to execute murderers than to lock them up for life. But Professor Gordon Waldo, who has spent more than 50 years studying the death penalty, says none of that is true. There is no evidence that there is a deterrent effect. There have been hundreds of studies. And if you look at the very simplest way of thinking about it, Which states have the death penalty and which states don't? Well, the states that don't have the death penalty have lower murder rates than the states that do have the death penalty. That's a very simple way of thinking about it, but that's consistent with what all of the much more sophisticated research tells us about a deterrent uh, effect. There's also evidence that Florida's death penalty is rooted in racism. State Senator Gary Farmer says there are profound racial disparities in the way the death penalty is carried out in Florida. A Florida Supreme Court study in 1991 determined that prosecutors are over three times more likely to seek death penalty uh, when 
the victim is white compared to if the victim is African-American. Never in the history of Florida has a white person been executed solely for killing an African-American. Florida holds the despicable honor as the state with the highest per capita rate of lynchings between 1877 and 1950. So this is not a new phenomenon when it comes to this disparate impact of inflicting death upon those accused of a crime. Senator Farmer and Representative Geller are sponsoring bills to abolish the death penalty, but in the current political environment, it's far more likely the legislature would vote to make executions easier. Geller is not deterred, and he's encouraged because some of his fellow lawmakers are actually starting to question the entire death penalty process. Despite objections from local government officials, a bill preempting short-term zoning for vacation rental homes has been approved by the Commerce and Tourism Committee in the state Senate. Under the bill by Senator Manny Diaz, the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation would be responsible for inspection and regulation of rentals offered through Internet platforms like Airbnb and VRBO. The Rules Committee is next, and it's the final stop before the Senate floor. One of the first things they tell you when you apply for a driver's license in Florida is that driving is a privilege, not a right. The state can take that right away from you for all sorts of reasons, some of which have absolutely nothing to do with your driving. Ashley Thomas with the Fines and Fees Justice Center says the clerk of the court can suspend your license for unpaid fees, which turns government into a debt collector on steroids. Suspending a person's driver's, driver's license should be reserved to getting dangerous drivers off the road. However, here in Florida, over 1 million license suspension notices went out in 2017 simply for unpaid fines and fees. This amounts to 72% of the total driver's license suspension notices that year, just for unpaid fines and fees, not for dangerous driving. These suspensions do not get dangerous drivers off the road. They're used as a tool to collect fines and fees, and these suspensions are counterproductive. They waste public resources, impede public safety, and undermine Florida's economy by making it harder for people to keep jobs. And these suspensions are hurting Florida. 90% of Floridians have to drive to get to work. So if your license is suspended over an unpaid fine, Senator Tom Wright says you have to break the law to keep doing your job, and it can become an endless cycle. We have about 2 million drivers out of the 18 million licensed drivers in Florida that are driving on suspended licenses because they need to work. Then they get caught for possibly another minor traffic violation. It shows up they have a suspended license and it snowballs out of control. And they have no way to pay these giant fees. Giant fees sometimes are $300, $400. And to a lot of people that, that makes it impossible. So the payment program that we've constructed makes it very easy for them to work with. There's constraints so that it cannot be out of line. And it's something that the local clerk of court that we are working with closely and their association to make sure they still have control over what licenses are suspended, what licenses are not suspended. So we're not taking away that authority, but we're encouraging them and trying to bring into our legislation and into statute that in every one of the 67 counties, if you have traffic violations that are not life-threatening type violations, you will be able to work on a payment plan. So this bill will make those living from paycheck to paycheck, trying to make ends meet, uh, able to get out of debt so we don't leave them in driver's suspension license debtor prison forever. Wright is sponsoring the license reform bill in the Senate. Representative Byron Donalds is the House sponsor. And so what we've come up with is a simple pathway where citizens and their local clerk can engage, um, can engage each other, can develop a payment plan, develop a structure so that they can keep their driver's licenses while at the same time paying the fees that they owe. This is a simple approach of reforming government 
in a positive way to make sure that people who are on the road, going to work, going to church, picking up their families, have all the resources that they need to continue to promote their families, promote their livelihoods, while at the same time not getting caught in an endless spiral of, 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 of increased fees and sometimes being arrested because they're driving without a license. Backers of the bills claim driver license suspensions hurt families and businesses, undermine public safety, weaken the state economy, and cost taxpayers money. Plus, they say there's no proof that it actually makes people pay their fines any faster. There's a new plan in the Florida House to pull the plug on the smallest of the state universities. Representative Randy Fine told Florida Politics publisher Peter Shores the idea is to make Florida Polytechnic University in Lakeland part of the University of Florida, while New College of Florida in Sarasota would become a satellite campus of Florida State University. Fine says the basic idea is to reduce the cost of higher ed. There are so few students at the two small universities that the cost of degrees earned from Florida Poly and New College cost an order of magnitude more than they do at the other 10 state universities. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with Valerie Breen, who runs the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. The state Senate wants to come up with enough money to eliminate the waiting list and shore up funding for persons with disabilities, but she just got some really bad news from the House. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. He said, she said listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Once each year, the courtyard of the state capitol is filled by people with developmental or intellectual disabilities, Floridians who rely on government for the basics of life. For many of them, the budget battles that take place in Tallahassee are a matter of life and death. And every year, the waiting list for services gets a little longer. My daughter Katie is one of them. When she was born with Down syndrome, the doctors told us she might live to be 20. Later this month, Katie will celebrate her 39th birthday, and she has a better life than her mother and I ever thought possible, thanks in part to what's known as the I-Budget, her own personal financial plan. There's talk this year of reforming the process to get rid of the waiting list for the I-Budget, but here in Tallahassee, reform usually means budget cuts. Valerie Breen is executive director of the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. She says they are thrilled with the response from the state Senate, but the House, well, that's something else entirely. Our main purpose is to uh, really convince our legislators to save the I budget. We want them to fund it, and we want them to support Senate Bill 82. What is going on with the I budget? Have they finished dismantling it yet? Not yet. <laughs> uh, our goal is that they don't. And uh, we called the campaign Save the I budget because we know that this year there will probably be funding to support it. Senator Bean has done a beautiful job of not only putting everything that's needed in the Senate side of the budget, but also creating a, a Senate Bill 82, which will support the program to do what they need to do in order to get this straight. Um, but it's a huge lifeline to thousands of individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we're here on this campaign because we know it will not just be this year, but it will be over the next few years. Now, when they talk about reforming the I-budget, all sorts of ears perk up because reform here means cut the budget. Yeah. Well, reform can also mean move it into managed care. Uh, nobody is talking about cutting the budget by any way, shape, or form this year. Uh, instead, the issue is 
how much money will they put in to fund the deficit in the past, and how much will they invest in people who are aging, who have more needs, how will they invest in that in the future? Now, when we talk about the I budget, what is that basically for someone who's not familiar with the system? It's an individualized uh, insurance program for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities that not only uh, helps with their health and safety, but helps them have a productive life outside of an institutional setting. There's 35,000 individuals currently in this insurance program, each with their own plan, and another 21,000 sitting on the waiver waiting list to get services. Is there enough money in the Senate's proposal to get rid of that waiting list? Yes. How much is that? <laughs> well, the Senate has put in, not only to take care of the past deficit, they've put in money to secure the program going forward, also to take people off the waiting list, increase uh, money to personal supports. Uh, they've put in everything. It's a dream budget that we would love to see. And what's going on in the House? House is pretty quiet. I'm not so sure that they will uh, move forward with a companion to Senate Bill 82. They've put in just the minimal amount in their House budget, and so it's going to be quite a lot of education and negotiating to, to move this forward. And you may have mentioned this, but how many people in this state rely on the I-budget and developmental services, the entire program here? Well, Florida as a whole has nearly a half a million individuals living with intellectual developmental disabilities. And 6% of them right now rely on the I-budget. But when you look at the rest of the percentage, we have aging families, we have aging individuals with developmental disabilities, and more and more are going to rely on it for their services because there won't be any place else to get them. Do you think this might be the year they finally fix things, or is it going to be kick the can again? We've heard this morning that it's probably going to be kick the can, but uh, we're hoping to make some headway. When you say you heard this morning, what happened? <laughs> uh, well, we've had several meetings with legislators and on the House side, and um, I think there's still a lot of negotiating and educating that needs to be done. But uh, what we were told this morning is that this is going to be a long-term project, that uh, we may see some money that handles the backlog of deficit money, but uh, it's going to be a long-term fight. House leaders are proud of their new budget because it's a billion and a half dollars less than the Senate plan. My wish as a parent of a child with a disability is that the representatives who are so pleased about pinching pennies would have to sit down with disabled persons and explain why tax breaks are more important than their health and well-being. Your calendar of events starts early today with Representative Emily Slosberg hosting an event titled Keep Roaring On. It'll mark the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage in the U.S. That's at 8 a.m. on the 22nd floor of the Capitol. The Florida League of Mayors is holding a news conference at the Capitol at 8.15 to talk about legislative issues such as water quality and short-term vacation rentals. At 9, the State Board of Education will take up a series of issues, including new academic standards that have been dubbed Benchmarks for Excellent Student Thinking, or BEST Standards. Several women who serve in the legislature will be taking part in a news conference at 9.30, calling for Florida to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. The Senate will hold a floor session at 10 this morning to consider its proposed $92.83 billion budget. The House will hold a floor session at 1.30 to take up their $91.37 billion budget. Then they'll be able to start negotiations on a final spending plan. 
Florida State University President John Thrasher and the new football coach, Mike Norvell, will speak at a pep rally at the Capitol Courtyard at 1130. It's part of FSU Day at the Capitol. And at four, the Senate Military and Veterans Affairs and Space Committee will consider a bill creating the First Responders Suicide Deterrence Task Force. And it's time once again for Florida Man, including the case of a traffic trifecta. A Florida man is sentenced to 10 years in prison for impersonating prosecutors and filing a bogus court document in his own case file attempting to dismiss charges in a previous incident of extortion. Christian Mosco used the personal ID of two assistant state attorneys to file a document by computer and try to drop charges against himself. The Volusia County Clerk of Court's office was not fooled. And a Florida man is accused of driving the wrong way down a road in St. Petersburg with a baby in the car while he was intoxicated. 29-year-old Matthew Thomas Knoll of Palmetto is charged with child neglect, drunk driving, fleeing police, and refusing to submit to alcohol testing. He has previous DUI convictions in 2011 and 2012. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. <music>